On today's show, we'll be talking about what we guess might happen in the industry in 2022, share the restaurants we've tried recently, reopenings like Lola, and closings like the Nickerson Saloon, industry news, and upcoming events. You'll hear it all on the Seattle Dining Show. Uh, this is Casper Dernier. I'm the owner of Casper Special Events and Catering, and welcome to the Seattle Dining Show. Coming to you live from the Test Kitchen Studio high atop Queen Anne Hill, it is time for the Seattle Dining Show. Join us as we explore news about Northwest restaurants, take a look at upcoming events, discover new kitchen tips you can use at home, dive into great recipes, and much more. And now, here's your host, the senior editor, Connie Adams, and whoever else just happened to drop by today. Welcome to the final Seattle Dining Show of 2021, number 2112. I'm Connie Adams, Senior Editor, and I'm here with Tom Marin, Publisher and Owner of Seattle Dining. Ho, 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 ho. And Santa Claus. Santa's here. <laughs> He's, what can I get you for Christmas, little lady? A January show from Seattle Dining. Ho, 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 ho. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, I was hoping for something different than that. <laughs> Hey, because it's the final show of the year, I thought we might just riff on what we think might happen next year. I mean, obviously, the pandemic, I think last year we said, thank God that's over. And, of course, here it's we are. It's not over. So, and, you know, it's still not over. So, um, what, do, what do we think might happen this year? Do you have any opinions? Uh, I think we'll have this new variant come in, and then there will probably be another few of them behind that. Yep. I think until it's done taking out the people it's going to take out, it's going to keep rolling on through. Yeah. That is a uh, terrifying reality, I guess. You know, I see a lot of restaurants closing down, and I think there there can't possibly be a staffing shortage at this point for, you know, I mean, in my neighborhood, four restaurants have shut down, and we only have two or three left open, so... Yeah. Uh, I think the issue, though, is that a lot of they, people are if leaving. If they can't get staff, nobody wants to work. That's what's going on. Nobody wants to work at a restaurant, I guess. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of industry people leaving. I keep wondering when people will – new people will come into the industry because, you know, I don't think dining out is ever going away. I mean, it's been here for hundreds and hundreds of years, you know, from the first travelers' inns and things – um, where somebody just made stew and, you know, travelers mm-hmm. could stop and spend the night and get something to eat. At the inn. The inn. Um, I just think it's such a social thing. We are such a social group, humans. Um, I don't see that ever stopping. And and there are always people who are going to want to be part of that, whether they're eating or serving or cooking or owning. I just think that's not ever going away. So... I keep kind of waiting for maybe a new crew to come in who want to be involved. Well, I think you're just going to see some of these uh, people like Tom Douglas starting to open up again. So he's going to find people to work for him, and then they're going to eventually go out into the world and work somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Or start their own place or – but we don't have those people right now because every because they've been closed and you know like a salties on Alki, yeah. low low employment over there. Um, uh, we're, we're we're certainly haven't been breeding new employees for the last two years. So yeah, yeah, yeah that has to happen. 
I wonder too, and I have no um, idea, I haven't really been paying attention to this myself, but you wonder what's happening with the chefs and owners who have closed their places. You know, will we see them open new places once things, you know, I hesitate to use the words settle down, um, or they're going to work for somebody else, or are they going to consult, or are they leaving town, leaving the industry? You know, it'll be interesting to see where people go. Mm-hmm. You don't know. I, I don't be. know where they'll go. Yeah. Some will and some won't. Yeah. That's that's how that'll work out. Yeah. Um, uh, I, you're asking here, uh, did we see staffing problems decrease in more places using tech to reduce the need for humans? So can I get a robotic dishwasher? You know, you probably can. <laughs> Little. Somebody still has to load it, though, you know. Yeah. And if it's my dishwasher, you better load it just so. <laughs> there are rules. Um, yeah, there were, you know, I think we talked about this last month, maybe about uh, a lot of places going to, and Red Robin did this a number of years ago, long before the pandemic, where they just did away with servers. You order at a counter, and then, or or they bring a, there's a thing at the table, and you order off that, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know. So there's already people who were doing well, that. There was a place like that over on 15th Avenue Northwest. It was that burger place after the Pancake House moved out. And it, it, you walked in and ordered, and then they, I guess they brought the food out to you. But they had like a full bar and everything going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. And they're gone. Yeah. And then the place after that, now that's gone. And then the real heartbreaker over on 15th Northwest. Goofies is gone. Yeah. I, I was saving that for, you know, the big news in, in News Bites. But okay, tell everybody. <laughs> yeah, you know, I certainly I'm not saddened by the passing of Goose, Goofies since I was never there. But it's another place, like we've been talking about lately to each other, not on, on the show. But it's another Seattle place that's been around forever, served the neighborhood Served, you know, a certain clientele that really counted on it being there. Well, Goofy's went down because they sold the property and it's going to be gentrified yeah. with apartments. Yeah. But, you know, we said this in – if you go back to the February or the March 2019 show, I said things are never going to be the same. Mm-hmm. There's going to be lots of places that are going to go away. There's going to be some new places, but it's never going to be – the way it was. Mm-hmm. And right now, it's not the way it was. Yeah. And we're not done yet. Nope. Yeah. I don't think we'll ever be done. We're just going to keep on uh, churning, you know. Yeah. And, and things are going to keep changing. And I guess the one thing that I see as a, as a positive, I think it's a positive, could be a negative, but it was so terrifying when COVID first hit and everything locked down and people didn't know what to do. And now, you know, a new variant will come along and the hospital rooms will fill up and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, I heard about it. You know, yeah. we're a lot calmer, which mm-hmm. is a good thing because life does need to go on. On the other hand, the negative side of that is that if you're not uh, worried at all, then you're going to have a problem. You know, you've, you've got to be somewhat concerned to make well, sure that are... you do things right and you take care of each other and take care of guests and – You don't go out and hurt the servers by coming in, you know. Obviously, having a vaccine makes it possible for most of the population to operate 
and function as as usual. Mm-hmm. But there are people who will get it. There, I, I, I've heard of multiple, multiple. Uh, what do they call it when you get it and you've already been vaxxed, uh, where it sneaks in? And oh gets yeah, in breakthrough. And breakthrough. Yeah. yeah, I've heard of multiple, multiple breakthrough cases. But um, everybody that I know who had a breakthrough is alive. Yeah, they haven't died, and they didn't go into the hospital and have respirators shoved down their throats for right. a month or anything like that. So. Yeah. So we'll just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it'll be different every day. We'll see. Yeah. So I um, I long for the olden days. I, I'm, you know, I just long for the ability to stroll into a place without a mask and, and the, have the hubbub around me of other people. You know, I've missed that. I'm, I'm used to the mask thing. In fact, I'm sure that if I had a child... Uh, you know, in a couple of years from now, the, the, it would just be imprinted in the child's DNA. They'd be reaching for their mask every time they went to a restaurant. They wouldn't know why. Yeah, but that, that's what you do. You wear a mask when you go out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And not to rob anyone. Just I think for kids safety. love wearing masks too, don't you think? I don't know if they do or not, but a lot of kids, you, one of your grandsons in particular – yeah, he's is vigilant fine. about he's, it. He's vigilant, yeah. yeah. And he's, you know, he'll, he'll go to, out to a restaurant and eat his food, and then when he's done, he pops that thing back on. Even though everybody's going to be there for a while and other people are eating, if he's done, that mask is back on. That's GK4 we're talking about. Yeah. Grandkid number four. <laughs> GK5, I don't think he's into a mask yet. No, he's too little. He's too little. Still in the diapers. I think once you get out of the diapers, you can get a, uh, a mask. And that's how they get kids to get out of the diapers sooner than oh, like, yeah. oh, you want to wear a mask? Oh, well, then you have to stop wearing the diapers and I'll get you a mask. <laughs> Who knew the mask was going to be what the carrot was, you know? The carrot and oh, the please stick. don't talk to us about carrots and diapers, okay? <laughs> All right. Speaking of eating out, <laughs> should we oh, move yeah. on? So uh, where have you... <laughs> I had kind of an abundance of places I hadn't been before or that were new or I haven't talked about for a while. So shall I just whip through those? Yeah, go ahead. Um, like, like whip mashed potatoes. Just yeah, whip right through them. Whip carrots. Um, one place I was at recently was Pogacha, and they, you know, in the last year moved to Mercer Island. So it's Pogacha isn't new, but this location is. It's quite nice inside, really comfortable. And I was so looking forward to trying something fun on the menu. And instead, I found out I had a friend in town. I ended up going out for breakfast. And by the time I got there for lunch, I was still so full, I had a green salad. So I got to say, it was very simple. It was a green salad with gorgonzola on it. But the vinaigrette was delicious. It was a a really nice, simple salad. So now I have to go back and get something So that's Pogacha Part 1, then. Yeah, Pogacha Part 1. And then um, I met some friends and went again to the waters table. And we've talked about them um, over time, several times on the show and in, in the uh, new uh, website. But and is it a restaurant that is where? It's at the Hyatt Regency, Lake Washington in Renton. Right. And they have a new chef. And, and this is one of the things that I love about this place. There have been numerous personnel changes at this place, whether it's marketing, whether it's the chef, whether it's whatever. They treat you like royalty there, and that never changes no matter who's there, which is says something about their hiring and their, you know, the belief systems they hold. I, I, I've never seen it at another hotel like this. They're hmm. just great. And it was really good food. Um, we really enjoyed it, and 
sat at the window and looked out at the lake, and it was a really nice um, evening. Then I went with some friends to the Crest Cinemas for a movie, and we walked across the street to Drumlin. They've been there about a year. Yeah, I've never seen that. Yeah, it's... it's, um, I went up there about a year and a half ago, and and there's a brewery up there, and I didn't know it was just a brewery, and I walked in, I was expecting it to be a little pub, Yeah, but no, no food. Can't get any food. Yeah, in fact, I think that... Ridge Crest or Pine yeah, Ridge or something next to it, and then Drumlin's on the other side of that. Um, Drumlin does have food. It's pretty minimal, and it was, you know, okay. Yeah. They've got a pretzel and, you know. Can you get a beer there, or do you get the beer over? To- no, there's a number of taps. They've got some wine. Um, I don't think they had spirits. And And you go up to the counter, order what you want, and then if you – Order food, you get a number, and they'll bring it to you. Okay. Otherwise, you just get your beer or your wine right there. What kind of stuff's on the menu? We had um, – they have mac and cheese. They had a grilled cheese sandwich. Post-American. We got Brussels sprouts. Yeah. Um, we, got, we got three things. I'm blanking on the other one. So just very simple things, and we didn't get it, but they have a pretzel – Stuff like that. But mm-hmm. there is apparently always a food truck out front. So both That's places. That's what I thought, yeah. You can get food at the food truck and eat it in both places, I believe. Yeah. So, But it, it seemed to be quite a neighborhood spot. It was pretty full when we were there. And they were saying, yeah, they were hoping that as things opened up and more people were going to movies again that it would – Business would pick up. Oh, well, there's not a okay. lot up in that neighborhood. You, you know, you no. can go over to 5th Northeast or 15th Northeast – but that's 10 blocks away, so yeah. that whole neighborhood had been starving for years. I don't think anybody's overweight up there. <laughs> They're so hungry. <laughs> and speaking of not being overweight, the last place I want to talk about that I tried out uh, is Babar Green. And you know Eric Bond and Sophie Bond, sister brother who have Monsoon and Babar? Mm-hmm. They have a Babar in South Lake Union, and, and they have uh, about a 400-square-foot space in that restaurant where Eric used to make pastries, mm-hmm. and I think he makes them elsewhere now. So they had this space, and they talked to their chef de cuisine, and they they wanted to do something that was different, that was compelling, that was fun and interesting. And uh, Eric has so he, Eric and his wife have several people in their family who have gone vegan or pescatarian or vegetarian. And they've been, you know, being hit about the head and shoulders about, you know, we can't sustain how much meat we go through. It's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, Chris Michael, the chef de cuisine, came up with a plan of going fully vegan. So they have plant-based Vietnamese coffee. They've got a laksa, which is like a soup, but they do sweet potato in it. You said plant-based coffee? Coffee. A coffee drink, a plant-based coffee. I had it. It was delicious. Well, I think coffee comes from plants anyway. Yes, it does, but everything else is vegan in it. So you're not getting cream. Oh. You know, I mean, it's they've come up with – Chris has just done an amazing job. And Eric said that he and Sophie have taste-tested everything all the way along. And there's a crispy rice cracker salad uh-huh. that's just fabulous. And he said the first time we tasted it, we were just like, Wow. So and he's all, improved on it. All you lovers of Chaco Canyon, run down to Babar Green. If you love Chaco Canyon, this is going to blow your mind because yeah. I never thought Chaco Canyon was all that good, to be honest with you. But Babar Green, I had like I tried like five different things, and it was fabulous. You don't even want to put a name on it. You don't 
it's just sounds like a so sea good. monster or something. Bob R. Green, watch out! He's coming to get you. <laughs> sounds like Bob R. the elephant in the front. yeah, Bob R. the elephant, yeah. but he turned green, so he's like <laughs> suffocating or something. So anyway, I would highly recommend that. But those are mine. All right. Well, we took a little trip up to Skagit County, up to Mount Vernon, before all the atmospheric rivers started to roll in, and we went to the Town Pump, which is a little funky little bar, pizza kind of thing. Talk about a neighborhood spot. Yeah, it's a neighborhood spot. If anybody in Seattle is looking to, to learn how to emulate a real neighborhood spot, you probably want to go to the Town Pump. Um, they were quite busy. Like three in the afternoon, packed. Uh, the guy who makes the pizzas there is he's pretty pretty proud of himself. And he's new. He was a fairly new He was new, employee. okay. Uh, his name is uh, Alberto. Um, I, I wanted to go there because my birthday twin works there, and I wanted <laughs> to go and spend an hour near my birthday twin. <laughs> she was busy working. She's probably one of the best bartenders Seattle ever had, and she left and went to Mount Vernon. Yeah. Lucky then. But um, anyhow, uh, the food was good. The salad was good. And the pizza the, was – I mean, you would not want to eat it every day. It was not a, a light thing, but, man, no. it tasted good. They they did have a little shutdown uh, in mid-November because they had a COVID breakup oh, yeah. among the staff. But they're open again. So, so you know, if you're up that way and you want some pizza, yeah. go find a town pump. Yeah. And they do have a full bar. They do. Yeah, it's yeah. not just beer. And then uh, we – I for Christmas last year, I promised to take you to Serafina. Yeah. One and we hadn't gone – and and you were kind of like, hey, buddy, <laughs> you know it's almost December. You owe me this one. So <laughs> don't you love a, a Christmas gift that's never executed? I know we don't <laughs> want to do that. <laughs> so we went uh, we went to Serafina, and uh, those of you who don't know that listen to this show, uh, Connie and I met at Serafina in two thousand and two. Yeah. In the in the, at the Saint Martin's. Patron of wine dinner. I thought it was a patron of drunks. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. The patron of drunkenness or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but we didn't get drunk. But, uh, but uh, I, I mean, I, I thought it was okay. I wasn't really. You know, one thing, and it, and this shouldn't matter. It should have been better. But it was they. It was the first night. They were doing happy hour again. Oh, that's right. Now, these weren't dishes, I think, that they've never done before. It, it should have been maybe a little better. It, our memories of Serafina are just off the charts. You know, yeah. it was such good food. And such good service. Yeah. And, I mean, the service was fine. Yeah, he was really – the guy behind – we sat at the bar, and he was yeah. great. Um, the, the appetizers they had on the happy hour menu, they were like, what, $10, $15 yeah. each? And they were just little snacky things, so yeah. – you you didn't feel like you were getting like the super happy hour deal, Mm-mm. but I think you know, they I know some... it's twenty twenty one, and I have to face the fact that everything yeah. requires an armored car in order for me to eat. They also had, um, I think, some levels. There were things that were six dollars, eight dollars, but you know it's probably olives or something. Yeah, but um, eight dollars the... for ten olives, <laughs> yeah. but they're good olives. <laughs> really good. I will say that the fun of it for us is that Serafina is really a na- it is a destination spot, but it's really a neighborhood place. 
And you ran into a woman you had done work for 10 years ago or more, more than oh, that. Oh, right, right. Because um, I used to live in a neighborhood, and I worked for her, and she lived, She still lives in the neighborhood. She lives on a houseboat. Yeah. It, so it was actually and, – and people being neighborly were fun. You know, we'd say something about – you know, it used to be, and the guy next to us would go, you know, I was told the story about blah, 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 blah. And so everybody was – you know, talking the way it used to be if you sat at a bar. Yeah. So it yeah. was, I think the, the joy of that evening was just that that hadn't changed. Yep. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a little break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about what we've been cooking at home, what kind of wines we've been drinking, and then we're going to jump into news bites. Excellent. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... Hogata Restaurant and Bar, located on Mercer Island. Locally owned and operated since 1997, Pogacha offers unmatched Northwest cuisine with an Adriatic flair. Quality food prepared simply, freshly, and with care means every visit is memorable. Come revel in their relaxed atmosphere while enjoying hand-selected fish, brine chicken, and scratch sauces. More information is available online at pogacha.com. Hi, my name is Elijah Lefkowitz. We're from uh, Fort Myers, Florida. We're visiting the Seattle area. We went to the Tillicum Place Cafe for brunch, and it was absolutely delicious. We had the savory and sweet Dutch ba- Dutch babies, and we'll, if we ever come back, that we'll be coming back to Tillicum Place Cafe. Hi, this is Angela Dunleavy from Fair Start, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. We are back on the Seattle Dining Show. I'm Tom Marin, the publisher. I'm here with the senior editor, Connie Adams. The youngest senior editor in Seattle Dining history. <laughs> and uh, we're going to continue on with uh, – uh, we're not going to talk about where we've been eating out anymore, but we're going to go into the home and tell you what we've been cooking over the last 30 days. Yeah. But not everything. Not everything. I'm focusing on what I did for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing I did, and I made it the day before Thanksgiving, was a cranberry pear ginger chutney. And um, we had a differing opinion on it. I did not care for it at all. You really liked it. And for me, I would have liked it, but for me, there was far too much ginger in it. So I think for me to make it again, I would do less ginger. And also, it said to finally mince it, and I kind of minced it. So when you got a bite of ginger, it really was a pretty big bite of ginger. Uh, you know, I can't say really big, but ginger is very potent. Mm-hmm. So I love you, it. Yeah. So you really liked it. I sent it all home with you. I thought it was going to be – I made the whole uh, amount that was in the recipe because I thought it will be great on sandwiches and stuff, and then I didn't want it. The cranberry pear part I loved, and it had some lemon zest in it and a little brown, dark brown sugar. So I, I liked all that, and I and – I, I don't mind a little ginger in it. But I'm going to put it up on – you asked me to put it up on Seattle Dining yeah. for a recipe. So I'll I mean, put it you up want there. to back off the ginger when you put it up, do that. You know what I'm – I didn't think it was bad. Yeah, I'm just going to do it like it was and then put a note on it saying, if you're not a yeah. big ginger fan, I would cut down on this. Yeah. Well, you know what I'm going to do for you tomorrow? Hmm. In the morning, I'm going to make you a smoothie. With 
a shake. And I'm gonna I'm gonna put half raspberries and half cranberry ginger chutney in. I think it's gonna be really good. Ooh. A ginger. Otherwise, I'll just shake. make it your own if you don't like it. Yeah, yeah. Make one or something and see what we okay, think. Okay, I'll make one for me only. Yeah, and then if it's good, you can make another one. One for Tom only. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about my singing career? Um, don't get him started. I'm just suggesting. Okay, moving on. All right. Um, I had the store spatchcock my turkey. I had him break it up into like seven pieces because we like it, you can cook certain pieces longer, and then the white and the the white meat doesn't get dried out, and so uh, that that worked for us. And, and we're not going to say what store this was, but I'll tell you they goofed it up because they gave it to you with the breast and the back attached. Yeah, you know what I think was the problem. And I'm speaking from um, complete absence of knowledge. But the recipe said, have the butcher cut it into seven pieces, leaving the breast whole. So that's what I told him. And I did get seven pieces, and I think they should have cut the breast. I mean, yeah, I don't know why they attached eight. it to the back. But it may have been that seven-piece thing that threw him off. But it was the weirdest-looking Cut up turkey I'd ever seen. Oh, so see, uh, if you if you do if you, two legs, two wings, two breasts, and a back, yeah, that's seven pieces. Yeah, they gave you six. Yeah, I don't know. It was really weird looking. Somebody didn't finish their job. Probably got a text or had to get on Facebook. And, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But anyway, um, the recipe is made. You cook the turkey in white wine, but then when you're making the gravy afterwards, use Marsala wine in it. Mm-hmm. So delish. I really do like that. So then uh, for the leftover turkeys, I gave you three choices. I said, would you Mm -hmm. like to have turkey taquitos? Would you like to have turkey nachos? Or would you like to have a pulled turkey sandwich? Like a barbecue sandwich. And turned out I didn't have any barbecue sauce. So I I minced up the uh, the turkey in the small Cuisinart hand food processor in batches, and then we put that in with some apple juice and heated it up and got it a little moist again, and we made the turkey nachos, made them with some olives and some cheese, black beans. We cooked them in the convection baking oven, which. I don't think it's such a good idea. I think I should have just baked them as bacon them yeah. because uh, convection, moving all that air out, dried all the cheese out. Yeah, and it, it did. And it, some of the cheese burnt as a result. So It did not taste burnt, but it was dry and not, you know, not like a nacho. Well, there was burnt pieces of shredded cheese in there. Yeah. So... But the guacamole was good. The we guacamole was excellent. And I, I, I bought four avocados and we ate... I guess we ate three of them. Oh, <laughs> I think all you... we got left is a cup of guacamole <laughs> that's sitting in the freezer quartered out. So We're a little ridiculous about guacamole. Yeah. Anyways. So um, over the last month, we've been trying, of course, different wines. And one of them was a Seto, Chateau Saint-Michel 2017 Cab Sav from Indian Wells. And basically, overall, we were yum. Mm-hmm. It's fruit forward, it's but dry. It's it was good with food. It was good on its own. Um, 
I did not write what I paid down for it, but I looked up, and Total Wine had it for like $9, which I find hard to believe. It must have been a special. Um, and then others go up from there to $20. They got all the court cases. Yeah, maybe so, but <laughs> it was just so delicious. And then we tried a 2020 Buena Vista Chardonnay. Now, Buena Vista and the Chardonnay in particular used to be one of Tom's favorites. Yeah. I remember being at the winery one time, actually with my mom, and I brought some back, and I've never seen you so happy. Buttery oaky. Mm, yeah, mm, so mm. good. Now, this, Bevmo had it on for $2 for twenty nine ninety eight, so basically 15 bucks a piece. Um, and it was good, but I don't think it was what it used to be. I don't think it was as buttery and oaky. I think they've gone stainless, maybe. That all depends, you know, what 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 happened that year. And they've had so many oh. weather variations up in well, Napa, Sonoma. And one year now, this was after my mother and I had been there, so that that had to be ten years ago. But they had a huge fire, and I think it burned. Yeah. So there's a lot that's gone on with them, but I would try it again and just see what we think. Yeah, I'll try it again. If anybody wants to buy a bottle and send it over to me, I'll drink it. <laughs> again, you're begging on the show. Stop it. <laughs> the uh, last one I want to talk about was something we bought when we were in Walla Walla recently. And that was a Mark Ryan Water Witch Red Wine. I don't know what the vintage was, um, and I honestly don't remember what I paid for it, and I couldn't find it. I, think I got a cat in my lap right now, so I'm not going to get up and look. No, you're not. He's the engineer, but again, he's sleeping through the show. Um, I think it was between thirty and forty dollars, but um, we bought it for a reason, and we opened it up with for Thanksgiving. We bought it because we liked it so much, mm-hmm. and again, we just thought this is so great. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's Cab Sav dominated blend. Um, it's dark yet kind of medium bodied. Um, it went with the turkey and the marsala gravy just fine, and we had you know. We're still drinking it after dinner, and to sit and sip on it after dinner, after we're through eating, was it was delicious. Just a really nice wine. Yeah. Oh. So what's going on? Let's talk about some news bites. Okay. Let's see here. Um, first of all, you can keep up with news bites as they happen by reading the news bites column on seattledining.com. We just add them as we see them. So we just pick a few out to talk about. Um, Tom Douglas, a while ago, well, first week in November – Reopened Lola, so that's a nice thing. And then the Hot Stove Radio Show went live again. So Tom and Terry are still doing it. It takes place every Friday at the Hot Stove Society inside Hotel Andra. And you can actually go. This is why we're bringing it up. It's $30 for a ticket, and that includes a light breakfast and coffee. Doors open at 845, and then you're, you're the audience for the show. And you get to watch what they're doing, which is kind of fun. Yeah. So... Why did they – I guess they stopped their show because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So I'd just like to say hats off to the woman that has been producing a food show in Seattle throughout the entire pandemic. Good job, Connie. Oh, thank you. Yeah. We didn't stop. We never stopped. I don't stopped. know why they stopped. They could have had a lot of fun. They, they could have called us and we just told them how to do the show from home and <laughs> taught them how to use Zoom. And, and, and you know, because yeah. I mean, those guys know so much stuff about working in the home kitchen. Yeah. I think they could have had a full show. But, you know, it is tough because it's uh, there every week and we're every month. Yeah. 
but uh, I don't know. They they could have gone. Well, they can't go to once a month because you're on the radio. So you gotta you gotta go you with gotta that produce. flow. Yeah, I don't know. And and you know, uh, uh, Tom is a restaurateur, and uh, Terry was a restaurateur, but he's not a restaurateur anymore. No. And and maybe he's gonna be again because we we've heard that he's going to move to. Uh, not Terry. Yeah, I thought Terry was. Morrow. Oh, Morrow, that's it. Okay. Yeah. All right, so we'll see what happens with Terry. Yeah. I don't know. Um, we've had uh, beverage maven Amanda Reed on the show, and she's done a beverage column for us. She was at Heartland, or Heart, already I've forgotten. Heartland Provisions, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 For some reason, that sounded weird to me all of a sudden. Um. And then she opened the Hotel Lotte. And now E3 Restaurant Group, which is like the Metropolitan Grill and Elliot's, mm-hmm. created a job called Beverage Director. And so she's now the Beverage Director for E3. Ah, yeah, good. So that's exciting. And then this is not really necessarily food-related. It's uh, hospitality-related. But Tom Norwalk has been the CEO of Visit Seattle for 15 years, and he's going to retire at the end of March. So that's kind of the end of an era. And what a sort of exhausting way to end your career, you know, to go through the pandemic when nobody's traveling and coming to the hotels and you're the Visit Seattle person. He's, well, maybe you know, I should end my career now, huh? I mean, I've been CEO for 25 well, years. Some and, of us uh, have more stamina. I went through the pandemic. Some of us have more stamina than others. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Big Mac's. Burger Co., formerly Eden Hill Provisions, has reopened, and they've got indoor seating, and they're on top of Queen Anne Hill, and they've also added a barbecue burger to the lineup, which I had yesterday. Um, was it good? It was very good, but to be honest with you, I'm, I almost felt like they gave me the wrong thing. I didn't really get barbecue out of it, Oh. and it was supposed to have frizzled onions on it, which, as you know, a favorite of mine. Oh, yeah. Um, and they were like... Um, your gallbladder Sauteed. used to hate those frizzled onions. Oh, yeah. And that's why I don't have it anymore. That's why you got rid of the gallbladder. I'm, I'm not giving up the frizzled onions. Yeah. I'll give up the gallbladder. I don't change my diet. I just get rid of organs. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Anyway, it was a delicious burger, and I'll have to try it again and see if it's the same next time. It did have onions on it, but they were more like sautéed than frizzled. So it was, you know, we'll see. But it was delicious. Well, maybe it was a French barbecue. Yeah, well, whatever that is. His his sauces are very can be very different, and they're all quite good. So you just don't know. Um, another big change, just like cooking with class being pushed off again from February this time to next September. Taste Washington has been postponed to 2023, due to just too many obstacles in the hospitality industry. Yep, understandable. Yeah, understandable. And it's, you know, again, pulling a lot of people into one area. So, you know, it's just not time. Then a couple of openings. There's a new Peruvian restaurant in Linwood called El Rey. And we've had Peruvian restaurants around, and they all seem to go away. So I'm hoping this one might be a a stayer. And then Pint and Pie Public House. I have not heard a lot about, but they opened in 2020 in Tacoma. They opened in 2021 in Redmond. Now, this coming summer, they're going to open in Edmonds and Issaquah, and they hope to open 12 more locations in western Washington. Oh, so my. this is big. So they're going to be everywhere. Yeah. 
I'm going to tell you a really good pint and pie combination. Hmm. You get yourself like the sweetest chocolatey mousse pie, right? And then you get a nice pint of Guinness, but you, you don't fill it. You only put it in 12 ounces, and you take a, a short glass, and you fill it full of Baileys, and you dump it in the Guinness. It's called an Irish car bomb, and then you eat it with that chocolate mousse pie. And if you don't throw up, <laughs> we pay for your meal. And my face is all scrunched up like, hell, hell. <laughs> well, unfortunately, besides that last bit, there's been a lot of closures. Yeah. Um, Nickerson Street Saloon closed after 25 years. And that's, again, I think something's going up there. That was probably a development thing. There I, was. I think. Was it only 25 years? I seem to remember going in there in the early 90s. Oh. That's what I read was 25 years. And the guy who owned it, Chris Martino, said out of his 52 years, he spent 25 of them at Nickerson. So. Yeah. Seems like he'd know. But um, Cinnamon's Sri Lankan restaurant in Bothell has closed. The Shambles Butcher Shop restaurant is closing um, on 1224 after service unless they can find another buyer. That's going to break Ronald Holden's heart. Yeah. Mm Mm-mm. Top he Tim- loves that place. Does he? Oh, yeah. He loves the shambles. No. All right. Doesn't. I was going to say, um, when you say things in that tone of voice, I'm thinking, that is just not true. <laughs> um, Top Tim Tai in Uptown closed after 33 years. Well, actually, they're not closed yet. December 18th. So better get on down there. Get on down. Teddy's Bigger Burger has been there a while in Woodenville. It's closed. I didn't know about this. I've been to that one. Mm-mm. But I do like the name of this, The Guilt Trip. In Redmond, closed after eight years, and that is a situation where the property owner sold the land to a developer. Oh. Are they trying to lay a guilt trip on me because I never ate at that one either? Yeah. Yep. That's the whole point. And then Pasta Fresca on Westlake after more than 23 years. I, I didn't realize it had been so long. This guy used to own the the Italian place on Queen Anne Avenue upstairs, which is all now a oh, gym. Oh, yeah, where the gym is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then he sold that and, and had this one. So 23 years. And then I uh, just found out today that the Fairmont Olympic has a new executive chef, and I am just going to absolutely mangle his name. I bet nobody ever has. Oh, no. First name is Eraj, E-R-A-J, and then Jayawik Reem, or Reme. So I think you did pretty good on that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it didn't sound bad, but it may not be anything close to his name. In any case, he has um, over 20 years of culinary expertise, and most recently um, he was at the Fairmont Palliser in Calgary, and before that the Fairmont in Winnipeg. So he's been with the Fairmont group for a while too. Oh, well, I hope they have us over soon to taste his cooking. Yeah, you know, they don't seem to be doing that. They've done this whole huge remodel. Give us a call. And, we'll we'll, we'll yeah. make time. Yeah. So that's the scoop on the news bites for this month. All righty. Well, then we're going to take a little break and we'll come back and we got the calendar. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by the resort at Port Ludlow, nestled on the shores of Puget Sound, just an hour from Seattle. The resort at Port Ludlow offers 37 cozy rooms, each with a fireplace and jetted tub. And Fireside, a farm to table restaurant celebrating the bounty of local farms, artisan meats and cheese. The dinner menu changes daily to reflect the best the region has to offer. Their 18-hole golf course is appreciated by players of all skill levels with stunning views throughout. 
the 300 Slip Marina offers many amenities along with kayak and watercraft rentals. Find more information online at portludlowresort.com. My name is Jordan from Twin Falls, Idaho, and I had an amazing food experience at Toulouse Petite. This is Christian from Traveri Cellars in Yakima, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. back on the Seattle Dining Show. We're going to head on into the calendar portion of the show, but before we do that, I just want to reiterate that we keep a rolling calendar on seattledining.com all the time, and you can go there and just click on calendar, and you'll be seeing the latest and the greatest information about what's going on around town. So, That's especially true at the holidays, you know, because we get Christmas, Christmas Eve, New yeah. Year's Eve stuff dribbling in. So people we'll, don't tell us stuff like you know, like they should at the end of November. So yeah. you're, you're you're not getting it all. Yeah. Got to check in. Exactly. Well, then because it's December, we got to bring up the Argosy Christmas ship. You can buy tickets to go on the ship as it goes around. But the other fun thing to do is figure out where you'd like to be and go to a restaurant or a location. Like for instance, on the third of December, you can see and board the Christmas ship at the Hyatt Regency Lake Washington. And there are 5 p.m. and 8 p.m. departures. It's like an hour and a half thing. Um, but the Christmas ship goes from the 3rd of December through the 23rd. There are some dates that are already sold out, so just be aware if you want to do it. And there's different locations where it docks. Yeah, so all all over. So yeah. you can. that's really fun to do. So we have a link for the schedule on the calendar page at seattledining.com. We do indeed. Uh, wow, we're, we're going to jump up into Christmas Eve here. Here we go. Christmas Eve at Maximilian Restaurant at Pike Place Market. It's going to be 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. It's going to be $100 per person in the dining room, $125 if you want to be in an igloo. And who wouldn't want to be in an igloo on Christmas Eve? I just did that. And uh, there's going to be a 5% service charge added. There's going to be a 20% gratuity, and there's going to be tax. So uh, do the math yeah. for the real price. Uh, there's an optional wine pairing for an additional $40. We've got a traditional French feast to include. Watch me mess with these all <laughs> up right now. A mousse boucher. Bouche. A mousse bouche. Okay, see? Endive salad, asparagus and broccolini cream, shaved foie gras, seared strip bass, filet mignon with green peppercorn sauce, and I'm going to end it all up with a Yule Log, Yule Log chocolate cake. Prepaid reservations are required. And it is a striped bass, not a stripped bass. Just saying. Oh. So they don't strip the bass? No. It it's, still has his clothes on. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. His striped clothes, his hmm. little striped jammies. All right, what's next? All right, Christmas Eve at Bourbon Steak. This is the new Michael Mina place that took over RN74. Oh, yeah. 1433 4th Avenue downtown, and it's they're doing a prime rib special that night. So I looked on their website. There's no other information. So if you want to know, just look on the on our site, 
and give them a call. We got the phone number there. We got the web link there. Yeah. All that. All right. Uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, there will be things going on at Ray's Boathouse and Cafe. Yeah. So uh, again, go to calendar, get the link out to Ray's, and then check it out. Yeah. And then the holidays at Waters Table and Dock and Drink. Um, we've got December twenty fourth and twenty fifth. Christmas at Waters Table. Um, it's a four-course pre-fee dinner. It's $90 per person. Includes starters for the table, plus a choice of lamb shank, prime rib, roasted chicken, or cauliflower steak and dessert. And then Dock and Drink is open for normal hours of operation. And then on the 31st and January 1st, Waters Table has a New Year's Eve special. Specials like tenderloin and prawn and terrace major steak, champagne toast at midnight, and then there's a brunch on New Year's Day. All right, on New Year's Eve, you can uh, join Tom Douglas at the hot and the hot stove team at the Hot Stove Society. The price is going to be $200 per person. It's going to run from 7:30 to 11 p.m. Tom's going to demo a celebrity menu course by course, celebratory. So, oh, celebratory. So, yeah. Okay. Uh courses are paired with wine. You'll get Bellini with caviar, winter white chicories, butternut squash dumplings with sage butter, beef tornados with roasty potatoes, cranberry pecan pie. It's going to be uh, 20% off a room at Hotel Andra if you want to go and get a room that night and just stay there at the hotel. Yeah, and after all that food and wine... Might Who be a would want to walk around? Yeah. Then Semiamu Resorts, Uncorked Winemaker Dinner Series, we've been talking about every month. It continues into 2022, and I'm bringing this up now about the January 14th dinner with the Willamette Valley Vineyards because their December 17th and 31st dinners are sold out already. Um, so you can see these are really popular. Um, in January, it's at 6.30 p.m., $140 per ticket plus tax and fees, and they're going to continue to do this each month in 2022. So you can and remember, if you have not heard this on the show before, they do not tell you what you're getting for food. So if you have food allergies or whatever, you probably don't want to do this. And I think yeah. there's people – I think that's actually a draw for them. It's like, come on up here. Everybody in the room is going to be open-minded and eat whatever we serve yeah. them. And they're not going to be telling us about their gluten deficiencies yeah. and all this and stuff. And it's local and seasonal, so you're, you know, you're getting what the chef is working with. With right now, or whatever's available at Costco. Oh, what? <laughs> what? That's semi Just kidding. That was that <laughs> other guy out on that island. Lumina. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Winter 2021 cooking class at Salty's on Alki is going to be hands on. You will learn how to make all five courses of the dinner. You'll need to have your Proust of Vax card. By 12-12, the event is going to be 12-14 and 15. It's going to run from 6 to 8.30, and it's $135 a person. We don't know if that includes tax or grant. Now, we have a special guest coming up. We do. I'm very excited about this. Because we're heading into the holidays, we're going to be talking about brandies. All right. She's a fine girl. (laughs) All right. We will be right back. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by 
Esquin Wine and Spirits. Drop by and check out one of the widest inventories of wines from around the world, as well as local and international spirits, all procured by their expert staff. Is your wine collection ready for a new home? Esquin offers monthly wine store storage lockers in a temperature-controlled environment. Visit their website at madwine.com today. Hi, this is Heather, and if you're ever out in Yakima, be sure to visit Zesta Cucina. They have wonderful Italian dishes and other various foods to try. Hi, this is Eric Radovich, Executive Director of the Washington Beer Commission. You're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. back on the Seattle Dining Show. I'm Tom Aaron, the publisher. I'm here with Connie Adams, the front of the house. And Connie has a special guest that she's going to tell us about coming up right now. Right now. We are introducing you, actually not introducing you, because you've been part of Seattle Dining occasionally over the years and Cooking with Class, our fundraiser. But Joan Harkins of Beauchamp Imports is with us today. And we are going to be talking about um, brandies, Calvados, Armagnac, Cognac, um, something you import through Beauchamp. And also, you lived in France for a while, and at one point you went back on a trip to visit an exchange student's family and got very inspired by French cider, and that started this whole process, correct? That's right. <laughs> so, we had an exchange student come and stay with us for a summer, and his parents... Uh, very innocently said, hey, come visit us anytime. So <laughs> within three weeks, we were there <laughs> visiting. And uh, they introduced me to cider uh, in Brittany and also Calvados. And I was just so enamored of cider and Calvados that I decided to start importing it into the U.S. because we didn't really have that much of a variety mm-hmm. or we didn't really have that much Calvados and French cider here in the U.S. So... Now, you've just recently returned, September, October, from another trip. So that was about the Brandies. Exactly. So So that trip uh, was in the works for quite a while. We'd actually planned it pre-COVID. Oh, wow. And had to cancel it and then uh, decided to go ahead and go in September. And I'm really glad that we did. A lot of the producers that we saw uh, told me that I was the first importer they'd seen since COVID. Wow. And it was really wonderful to kind of be there, kind of on the ground floor of things reopening and and everything starting to to move forward again. So we visited um, the Armagnac region and visited the Les Gorges family of Chateau uh, Chateau Lobod. And then we went to Cognac and visited... um, a company called Maison en Sac, and they create Prince de Didon cognac, which I oh. import as well. Oh, wow. So it was uh, it was lovely. It was the first time I've gotten to spend a lot of time in the countryside. I got to spend time in the producers, in the vineyards, and oh. in the aging cellars, and in the distil- distillation facilities. So, um, and I was the only one there. So oh, I you got, got attention. Yes, I got <laughs> I got special treatment, and uh, it was really wonderful. Oh, how great! Let's 
go back a little and talk about the history of these because that's sure. always interesting and 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 the differences. Sure. Okay. So um, there's three main brandies that are recognized in France: uh, cognac, Armagnac. And Calvados. Okay. So uh, Calvados comes from Normandy. It's the northern part of France, northwestern part of France. Cognac comes from a region about 50 miles north of Bordeaux. And Armagnac comes from a region about 100 miles south of Bordeaux. Oh, yeah. And these, um, these three brandies are really the most famous brandies uh, in the world. And, and they come out of France. The differences between the two are, are, are between the three are actually very interesting. So Calvados is distilled cider. So they make French cider and they distill it and it can be distilled either in a single column still or a pot still, double distilled in a pot still. And then it's aged anywhere from two to say 50 years, wow. but a minimum of two years in French oak barrels. Typically, they put it in old or, or previously used oak barrels. Previously used for the same purpose or from yes. something else? So sometimes they're previously used for making cider. They'll rest cider in them mm, for okay. a little bit. Uh, and then, or previously used because they had Calvados okay. in them previously. So that's what's happening in the northwest part of the country. And then if we go down to cognac, uh, cognac is distilled white wine, typically... Uh, it's made out of Uni Blanc wine, Uni Blanc grapes. About 85% of the um, wine used for cognac is Uni Blanc. And it is distilled in a pot still, so it's double distilled in a pot still. And then it's aged uh, for a minimum of two years, anywhere, you know, anywhere up to 50 years as well. Mm-hmm. And then we go down to Armagnac which is down in the southwest corner of France near the foothills of the Pyrenees. Mm. Um, And that's where we find the Armagnac, which is made predominantly from four grape varieties. So it's Uniblanc, Faublanche, Baco, et Colombard. Those are all uh, made into wine separately. Then they're distilled separately. And then they're aged separately in separate barrels before they're blended at the very end to make the Armagnac. That is quite a process. It's really a process. And the Armagnac is single distilled. So you have Calvados, which is double or single, Cognac, which is double distilled, and Armagnac, which is single distilled. Okay. So those are kind of the, the differences. You start out with something different. There are different regions and there are different distillation methods. Now, I have a question about the Armagnac. When you, It's all aged and then they go to blend yes is there a single way to blend or is it up to the blender Uh, i love that question because (laughs) uh, it's actually very significant so um i work with chateau lobad which is the it has the largest um estate Mm -hmm. in armagnac it is in the most recognized region in an area of armagnac called bas armagnac and so if you can imagine, their cellars are massive. They have all of the, um, the brandies of each individual year and each individual grape variety wow. aging in the barrels. They have, uh, you know, they have so much variety 
that the seller master can decide how he or she wants to blend these brandies into different expressions of their terroir. So Chateau Labad, for example, has a Chateau Labad brand, Mm -hmm. but because they have so much access to so many varieties, they also are able to blend them into a completely different expression, and that's what I carry, which is called Labiat Castile. Oh, wow. So um, because of the way that it's aged, because of everything being sequestered by year, by grape, it gives them this vast resources to be creative and consider how they want to express um, their estate through these two different brands. Now, why did you choose that, or is it the only one they export, or? Um, I... I actually chose to work with Chateau de Lepaude because they are the most recognized, mm. they are the most awarded uh, Armagnac estate in France. Wow. And um, they already have a, an importer for Chateau de Lepaude here in the United oh, okay. States, but they were looking for somebody to uh, really launch this brand new expression, uh, La, La Biat okay. Castile, in the U.S. So it was a perfect opportunity for me to meet them and to talk with them about my company and my vision for how I wanted to launch it. And then we decided to start working together. Oh, gosh, that's great. Um, You also were going to kind of explain to me, because I have no idea about this, the different classifications, the VS, the VSOP. Yes. All right. So um, Calvados, Armagnac, and Cognac, you'll find them as a VS, which is typically a two- to three-year aged uh, brandy for Calvados. A VS in Cognac and Armagnac, by law, only has to be two to three years, Mm. but you'll often find they uh, actually make it older. So it's usually a three to five-year-old is a VS in Armagnac and Cognac. Then you have a VSOP uh, in all three of them, Calvados, Armagnac, and Cognac. And the VSOP, by law, is generally a three to five-year And you'll find that that's pretty true in Calvados. Although a lot of times in Calvados, they'll call it VA Reserve. Mm. So that's a three to five year, maybe three to six year. And once again, though, in Cognac and Armagnac, they'll put an older brandy in it. So a VSOP is very often a five to eight year in an Armagnac and a Cognac. Then you get XO which is generally anything older than six years, anything older than eight years, uh, on up to about maybe 10, sometimes up to 15 years. Mm -hmm. And then after the XO, you have brandies that are labeled by how many years they are. So you have a 15-year, a 20-year, a 25-year, et cetera. So you have the VS, the VSOP, the XO, and then the years. And then there's something else that also happens in Calvados and in Armagnac, and it's called a Melissime. So it's a vintage. So if you mm. go back to what we were just talking about, where they're um, basically in Armagnac, for example, they're aging the Armagnac by year. So the 19, you know, 1999 is in one barrel, the 2000 mm-hmm. is in another bar- barrel, etc. Um, they will draw the uh, brandies and blend the brandies 
only from that year. Mm. So only from 1999 or only from 2000. And then those are labeled as a Melissime or a vintage with the date that represents the vintage that they were drawn from. And that happens both in Armagnac and in Calvados as well. Okay. Now, if, if it's aging in barrels... Doesn't it change over time? Yes, it does. So um, the aging process and the process of uh, putting the brandies in barrels is actually a very interesting, uh, very uh, very creative process. So a lot of times they will start out the process in new barrels. So in Armagnac, they have a tendency to use barrels made of Gascony oak, mm. right? And they'll put the uh, initial Armagnac in there for maybe a year or so, and then they'll move it to older barrels. In Cognac, they tend to use uh, barrels from uh, the Limousin or Troncé areas of France. And a lot of times, once again, they'll put it into new barrels to really get it a good start, and then they'll put it into older barrels. You see that happening with Calvados occasionally, but in Calvados, they tend to want to put it directly into old barrels and keep it in old barrels. Once the product, the brandy, has reached the stage where the seller master feels like, you know what, this just is not going to get any better than yeah. this. In fact, if we keep it in the barrels, it might it might not be as good. Mm-hmm. Then they'll take it out and they'll put it into these very, almost like a inverted light bulb shaped oh. uh, container called a damjan. And they'll put it in there. And at, from that point on, once it goes into the glass damjan, it doesn't change. Oh, okay. And then what do they bottle? Well, it depends. I mean, every year they're bottling. Right, and so some years um, they're bottling from the barrels, and sometimes they're taking things from the Damjan. Mm-hmm. So every year they're they're making decisions about what is going to be blended, how that blend is going to mm-hmm. be expressed, and then they bottle it every year. Wow, it's more complex than wine. It, it is very complex. It's super interesting when you talk with these cellar masters because. You know, you go several times, you meet with them, and you think, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. I, I've, I've, they've told me so much. Now I understand what's mm-hmm. going on. And then you go back and you visit them, and you realize you know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> and there's all these nuances, and there's all these just really interesting ways that they think about how to create these beautiful brandies. Yeah. Now, in France, how are they imbibed? Like, I think we talked about it not really being something that people pair with food in France. Right. So it's really interesting. The first thing to recognize is that um, Calvados um, has a very long history in the Normandy region. And it is something that a lot of people, they kind of think about it a couple of ways. They either will put it in a cocktail, mm-hmm. or they'll drink it at the end of the meal as a digestive. And okay. it really is a fabulous digestive. If you feel like you've eaten too much or you've mm-hmm. eaten really heavy food, you just have a little shot of Calvados, and everything feels fabulous, right? And you can continue eating. So the Normans... <laughs> Maybe not the a good Norm- thing. <laughs> yeah, the Normans actually make a ritual out of that, and this oh. is from, uh, I don't know, like the 1600s, 1700s where they would eat and eat and eat. And then after the main course, 
they would take a shot of Calvados oh. to give them the ability to move on to the cheese and then the dessert wow. and then whatever they were going to eat, right? So the the Calvados region has this really, I think, enduring tradition of taking a little shot of Calvados after the main course to continue on. Oh, interesting. But it's not really paired with the food. No. Um, you you want to, you know, you want to drink a, a slightly older Calvados, like a four or five, six-year-old Calvados for this. And it's called the Trou Normand, which literally translates as the Norman Hole, oh. <laughs> which is a really odd name, but it was their way of saying we need more room for the food. <laughs> Right, <laughs> we need to kind of make a hole in, the, in our stomach so that we can continue oh my eating. Gosh. So, um, so, but you'll often see it in a in a cocktail or as a trou normal or at the end of the meal. Okay. Um, in cognac, here's what's so fascinating about cognac: almost all the cognac that France makes is exported. So about 90 to 95% of cognac is exported out of the country. It's not something that's like a common drink there. No, it's coming to the U.S., it's going to Japan and China, it's going to Russia, it's going to other parts of the European Union. And so... Was it always this way? Yes. It's always been a a very... um, an exported product, Mm. right? So there's not really a tradition of pairing it with food. and it's really interesting when I have uh, tastings here in the U.S., people will ask me, well, aren't we going to pair cognac with the food? And so I'm in this really interesting position of kind of coming up with a way to pair the cognac with the food. And the first time I told my producers I was doing that, they were just like, what, what, what are you doing? <laughs> I said, Why would with, you do that? I'm pairing it with food. So a lot of times you'll do um, cocktails as well with the cognac and then drink the older cognac at the end of the meal. And then Armagnac, um, same thing, only about 50% of the Armagnac is exported um, outside of the country and the other 50% stays. They will often drink it and pair it with regional foods. So in the Mm. Armagnac region, the Gers department, there's a lot of um, ducks and geese, so you have a lot of foie gras and a lot of um, roast duck Mm -hmm. and these really... um, rich, luscious seafood-type foods. And so mm-hmm. they tend to pair their Armagnac with those very rich, mm. very um, tasty uh, foods because it goes really well and it supports um, the taste. It doesn't overpower the taste of the food, but it also, like a digestive, mm-hmm. same thing as Calvados, it makes you able to eat it and enjoy wow. it longer. That's so <laughs> interesting. Um, we're going to have to wrap up in a moment, but I wanted to ask you one more thing. And... In America, it always seems like this is a special drink, mm-hmm. like a special occasion drink. But it's mm-hmm. not obviously used that way Mm-mm. in France. It can be, like you said, in a cocktail or right. during a meal or after a meal. Yeah, exactly. And, of course, um, being an importer of Calvados, Armagnac, and Cognac, um, I know that, that that I like to incorporate it into... Uh, many parts of the of the meal. I like to serve it before a meal. I like to serve it at the end of the meal. Um, when you know I have uh, friends come over for the evening, it's really nice to pull out a very old bottle mm-hmm. and enjoy it that way. So, I mean, I think it's something that you can find a way to incorporate any of these lovely brandies into many parts of how you celebrate, right? Mm-hmm. And whether that's celebrating with food, whether that's celebrating at an event, whether it's celebrating, you know, 
am enjoying time with friends and family. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's something that uh, makes those moments very special, makes very uh, normal, normal, common moments very special. Yeah. And I would encourage people to think about it that way. Mm-hmm. So let's do this. I, th- I, th- I know you got a couple more things on yeah, I here. Think we're- um, let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to finish up your list. And also we have some questions from the listeners, too. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Salty Seafood Waterfront Restaurants. Visit them on the water at their Alki, Redondo, and Portland locations. Hi, this is Lisa from Woodenville. Um, my favorite restaurant here in the Woodenville area is Russell's, uh, located near Bothell. And one of the things I really like about the restaurant is it really reflects the Northwest, what we have to offer here, and um, has some very unique items on the menu. Hi, this is Amanda Bevel from World Spice, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. back on the Seattle Dining Show, and we're going to continue on with our interview with Joan from Beauchamp. Um, One of the things I wanted to know about was whether you can cook with these brandies. You can. um, The Vias, Mm -hmm. the younger uh, Calvados, Armagnac or Cognac, you can absolutely cook with. In fact, uh, before I left this morning to come and meet you and Tom... Um, I uh, put a stew, a cider-based stew, mm. in my crock pot. Mm. So I have, um, it's, you know, meat and vegetables, and I mm. use cider and a little bit of bouillon as the um, liquid. And so this is the first time I've done it, so oh, I'm okay. really excited. Yeah. Um, the other thing, obviously, you can make is you can make a, a flambe, you can make mm. cream sauces, whether those are cream sauces that you put on meat or on fish, mm-hmm. they're lovely. Um, How about could, a cheese fondue? You could put it on a cheese fondue, mm, definitely. Yeah. You could um, make a, a lovely um, sauce for a dessert, right? You could put it on an apple pie. You oh, could make yeah. sauce for apples, uh, um, for, yeah, like an apple tart yeah. or ice cream. So, yes, you can cook with it for sure. Okay. Is there any... Uh, rule of thumb like don't get it over 350 degrees or does it it just i don't know i i, I nobody's ever asked me that and my I, rule of thumb is don't burn the alcohol <laughs> off, by all means. Yeah. i agree with tom don't waste it i agree with tom <laughs> stir it in eat immediately yes exactly and of course you always have a little sip while you're cooking with of it course. too that's just of you course. know that's a requirement <laughs> if you're going to cook with any of this definitely well did we have Callers. Yeah, we have some uh, listener questions that came in. So uh, the first one is from uh, Larry, who lives on Vashon Island. Uh, and he actually he lives in the Calvados neighborhood of Vashon Island. You know, they have that over there. <laughs> really? No, I didn't yeah, know. I did not know that. They do. And he, <laughs> he's happy. asking if he mixes together Armanac and Cognac, will he have 
delusions of seeing Johnny Carson doing <laughs> Karnak. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think it's possible. <laughs> it's definitely possible. But you know what? Uh, I, I, I don't know if I would mix Armagnac and Cognac or Armagnac and Calvados, but that actually brings me into another point, which oh. is making cocktails. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I love to experiment with making cocktails with the um, V.S. Calvados, the V.S. Armagnac, and the V.S. Uh, cognac because it's young enough not to overwhelm, right? But okay. but it's it's uh, has enough body that it really adds a nice framework to your cocktail. And so what I will do is often take classic cocktails and um, switch out whatever the base spirit is that's in the classic cocktail mm-hmm. and put in either Calvados or Armagnac or cognac. And okay. I mean, one of the first ones that I did was a what we call a Paris Mule. Oh, so yeah. you take a Moscow mule, and instead of vodka, you use Calvados. Okay. And I think it really adds a layer of elegance to it. I love my, my Paris mule. It's probably one of our, our favorite drinks. Oh, wow. Um, we also made up one that's um, Calvados and Amaretto with some lime juice and simple syrup, and that is lovely as well. But, I mean, you can you can really experiment with different classic cocktails and mm-hmm. old-fashioned mm-hmm. Lovely. So brown of, spirits, white spirits. Doesn't yes, make any it doesn't difference. make any difference. Oh, um, brown spirits are, are, you know, are for sure. You can switch those out easily. Mm-hmm. White spirits, you might have to experiment a little bit, but you can make sidecars, Negronis, mm. um, martinis. It's called an appletini. When there's one called an appletini, yeah. you can make Manhattans. Mm. Oh boy, all kinds. So you would just in a Negroni, you would just substitute out the vodka. I mean the gin. The gin. Yep. And you put in Calvados and a little bit of vermouth and Campari. Mm. Mm. Wow. Yeah, so I, I, um, I really, like I said, enjoy um, making these, you know, taking the classics. Mm-hmm. And then also um, I love to make new craft cocktails out of brandy. And every time I go to France, I always look for... Uh, cocktail cookbooks, oh. and m- I mostly get them from the producers. So oh, the producers okay. of Calvados and Cognac and Armagnac will have cocktail recipe books that yes. they give me. And there's a lot of times they'll have um, cocktail contests that they feature in um, different cities, like maybe in Paris, maybe in, maybe in Caen, maybe in Bordeaux, maybe down in Toulouse. They'll have these cocktail contests where they're encouraging people to use um, these brandies in yeah. new creations. And there have been a, in fact, there was just a cognac uh, cocktail contest that just wrapped up. And if you um, go on Instagram on the cognac official site, mm. they have been listing all of the winners of oh. each of the categories. And I think there's like nine or 12 new cognac cocktails wow. that they have put in their stories. Um, that you can go and look at. So that's pretty exciting. Oh, how fun. All right. Our next question is from Bob, who lives in a retirement home on Bainbridge Island. And Bainbridge Bob wants to know if if brandy is so good when it's aged in an old barrel, would I be better off aging in an old barrel too? <laughs> I don't think I would recommend that. I would just I would just recommend drinking the brandy from the old barrel. Unless maybe you wanted to create a bed out of a half barrel and sleep <laughs> yeah, in it every could, night. That'd be interesting. <laughs> Put yeah, a couple you could together take some for staves the staves from the oak barrels and yeah. make some furniture. I have seen that done. Yeah, see? 
All right, and the last question we got is from uh, Jeff on the San Juan, somewhere in the San Juans. He's a jazz fanatic, Jazzy Jeff. And he says that uh, Herbie Hancock once had a band called VSOP, which we believe means Very Special Order of Players. And he says, which came first, the French VSOP or Herbie Hancock's 1970s band? (laughs) So is that really true? Did Herbie Hancock have a band called VSOP? He does, yeah. Wow. Okay. (laughs) So I I hate to break it to Herbie Hancock, but VSOP uh, in France came first. Predates. Predates it, yeah. Yeah. Just a couple of days before the 1970s? Or? <laughs> yeah, right. Just a couple of centuries. Well, it, yeah. <laughs> At least a century. All right, that's all the questions. Oh, all right. Well, thank God for that. So, <laughs> I think, what else, is there anything else we haven't talked about that you'd like people to know? Or, or actually, one thing I want people to know is how they can contact you if they want to get hold of some of these. Yes. All right. So... Um, There are many ways to purchase our brandies. Um, If you live in the Seattle area, um, there are a lot of local liquor stores and um, stores that carry our brandies. Um, So you can always go into a store, whether it's a QFC or a town and country or a central market. Um, You can go into stores and look for our uh, Calvados Armagnac and Cognac there. Um, if you're in California, uh, you can contact me and um, we can arrange, if you're a restaurant or a bar in, in California, um, I can arrange for my sales team in California to get a hold of you mm-hmm. so that you can, uh, we can actually give you a tasting if you're a bar or a restaurant mm-hmm. uh, in California. Um, we're also distributed in New Hampshire and Maine in the uh, state liquor stores. Mm. And then for um, consumers who want to buy directly, I mean, as you know, here in Washington, we can't sell spirits directly. I, as an importer, I can't sell spirits directly. Mm-hmm. That's why we go through stores. Mm-hmm. But we just got listed on Caskers.com, which is affiliated with Flaviar. And so they have all of our spirits online. Oh. And so you can go to Caskers.com and look up either uh, Pierre Huet, Calvados. It looks like Pierre Hewitt, H-U-E-T, okay. Pierre Way Calvados, or Labiette Castile, Armagnac, okay. uh, Prince de Didon, Cognac, or Marquis de Saint Loup Calvados. Okay. And those are all uh, on Caskers, and they can ship to about 35 states. They can ship directly to consumers, about oh, wow. 35 states. And yep. Caskers is C-A-S-K-E-R-S? Yes, dot com. exactly. And then okay. we're also on Liquorverse, which is a... Um, an online e-commerce site in California as well. So it's Liquorverse, and there is a French cider section with all of my ciders oh, and great. my brandies on that as well. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And if they want to go out, you have a web, is it Beauchamp.com or FrenchCider.com? Yeah, the website is FrenchCider.com. And um, what what you have to remember about the website is we can sell our ciders directly on okay, FrenchCider.com. not the spirits. But not the spirits. But we do list the spirits so you can read all about them. Okay. We talk about the producers. We've talked about the terroir. Oh, great. The, and they can see the bottles they and can the names see the so they recognize them. Yes. And then we tell them, uh, just like I've, I've said here, we tell them where there is a store. You can go to Caskers to buy it. So people can oh, at least perfect. find out about it and then link off of our site to where they need to go. Oh, okay, perfect. And uh, some of the smaller shops like Esquin Champions? Yes, they yes, they do. Some of the smaller shops. Um, Esquin, uh, Northwest Spirits, Downtown Spirits. Um, yeah, those are the ones I can think of off the top of my head. Pike. 
Pike Place wine? No, they don't have it. I don't think so. Okay. No. Okay. Joan, thank you so much for being here today. Well, this was really interesting. Me. Yes, thank you. So yeah. I love to talk about thank, my thank you for Thank you for coming. Thank you for your support of Seattle Dining, and thank you for supporting Cooking with Class as well. Yeah. Thank you very much. We're going to take a short break, and Connie and I will be back with some tips and tricks for your holiday kitchen. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... Willows Lodge, nestled on five landscaped acres in Woodenville, bordering the Sammamish River, bringing wellness and wine country together. Enjoy the serene spa or relax in front of the cozy stone fireplace in every room. Steps away, enter the Barking Frog, a fine dining experience you won't forget, featuring seasonal menus, memorable service, and one of the most extensive wine lists in the Pacific Northwest. Step into the Fireside Lounge, an indoor-outdoor casual spot on-site that's perfect for comforting food, cocktails, and local wine on the patio or by the fire. For more information, visit them online at willowslodge.com. Hi, my name is Erin. I live in Greenwood, and one of my favorite restaurants is Gainsburg. I particularly love their rotating specials board. Hi, this is Reese from Mighty O Donuts, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Seattle Dining Show, and it's the end of our show, and we always like to end up with some tips and tricks. But before we get into that, I have one more thing. Uh, we wanted to thank our guest, Joan Harkins of Beauchamp Imports, for being here, but also there was one other way you can get her products if you live in the Seattle area, and that is to uh, go through the Barrel Thief online store. So you can go to bthief, so B-T-H-I-E-F dot com. Go to the online store and look under Brandy, and Joan's entire selection of brandies is there. Then you can order it online and pick it up. So, very easy if you're in town. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Can I get an Amazon driver to bring it to me or a drone or something? I don't believe so. But you know what? <laughs> I do believe Joan said she was working on the drone angle. Ah, okay. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to test it out on my deck. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have a little tip because we just went through Thanksgiving, of course. And, uh, when, you know, we brine chicken, we brine pork, we brine a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I was thinking about brining. What's the best way to do it? And you found an article that kind of went through, should you wet brine, should you dry brine, should you not brine at all? I threw the whole don't brine at all out because I like to brine. Um, and because I wet brine mostly... I chose to try the dry brine that was suggested, and it was nothing more than salt. Um, mm-hmm. I spat, had the turkey spatchcocked, so it was just in pieces, and then I just sprinkled a tablespoon, which didn't seem like much, of salt over all the pieces, and then sat it in That's the... That's it? That was it. Just one tablespoon. Yeah. I, I have to admit I used a slight amount more because... I Because it was spatchcocked, I was turning it over and kind of doing it on the other side, too. Uh-huh. And then you rubbed it in, right? No, I just let it sit. Oh. Much. I didn't rub it in. 
Oh, I when I dry brine, I I would think you would want to rub because you want to get it more evenly over the mm. bird. Maybe so. Maybe well, I you know the bird turned out well, and they said you could dry brine it and leave it in the refrigerator up to three days. Mm-hmm. After that, it's more like curing, and it's going to be dry and leathery. Well, my turkey came out, I think, pretty moist. I don't think it was a problem, but and it tasted fine. It wasn't horribly salty or anything. But the skin was like it was cured, and I only did it for a day and a half. Yeah. So I just felt like, you know, I'd rather wet brine it. Yeah, I'd rather wet brine a turkey after that experience. Yeah. It didn't absolutely ruin it, but it could have been a much better, you know, a much better tasting bird, I think, than the... And and I personally love skin, and this was an organic bird, so you could eat the skin Mm -hmm. and not feel like you're hurting yourself, but we just couldn't eat it. It was too dry. Yeah, we just keep... Peeling it off. Yeah. So, what's your tip? My tip is um, getting a roll of painter's tape, like at the hardware store. This is the tape that is usually blue, and you'll find it in the paint section. And keep a roll of it in the kitchen, because it comes in handy for other stuff. The reason they call it painter's tape is because you can put it on paint, and it won't tear off the paint when you pull it away. So it's adhesive, but it's not forever. Yeah. Now, scotch tape is forever. Masking tape is forever. So when you're working in the kitchen, you can tear off pieces of tape and mark your leftovers before you put them into the freezer with what's in there. Mm -hmm. And the date, I might just add. Yeah, and you could cover over what you might have written on a Ziploc bag once before, and you decide to reuse that Ziploc bag for Mm -hmm. something different. Um. Uh, another way it works is uh, when you're when you have uh, plastic bags of food, particularly in like in the freezer, because I keep all my flowers and stuff up in the mm-hmm. freezer. So when I get like some pancake batter, uh, I, I'll close it back up, and rather than hit it with a clip, I'll just put some painters tape. That's on. a good idea. And and it just it pops right off yeah. when you pull it out. The one the thing you used it for the other night when we were talking about this was you were refilling a salt shaker. Oh, so yeah, and so I put it over, over the top of the holes. Yeah, and, yeah. T- and then you can turn it upside down, take the little bottom thing out and fill it. And, yeah. And then you're not spilling salt or leaving the, it in your hand or whatever. The possibilities are endless. Well, honestly, painter's tape. Somebody should be paying. Where is the painter tape company who should be supporting now, I, this show? I have another tip, and this was going to be a New Year's tip, but I'm going to do it now. And that is to um, take a look – and do some homework on a dish you've never made before. And the reason I'm bringing this up and we're now waiting until New Year's is because you'll have time over the holidays to yeah. kill. And so you might want to take an hour. Like, for instance, um, I've never made a mole before. Mm-hmm. And I want to make a really nice chocolate mole. And I'm going to food prep that mole and put it oh. in ice cube trays. And I'll have mole available anytime I want it rather than have to make up small batches. Yeah. So in order for me to make my killer mole, I need to review like five or ten different recipes, learn more about mole. Uh, I found a really good page on Wikipedia for mole. Lots of history and lots of information about what the basis of it is. And – so I'm, uh, sometime in December, uh, I might invite you over for some mole one mm, night. Good. I bought a jar of mole that looked really good to me. I have had it for a while, so we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to try that too. 
and then yeah, we'll have a little. And if it was a jar, how uh, is that in the fridge? Is that it's in my cupboard? It's in the cupboard because yeah, it's never you have been to opened. refrigerate that after you open I'm it. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, if you have to, then what you should do is actually stick it in ice cube trays. Yeah, and freeze them. Yeah, because it's only going to last so long in the refrigerator, probably. Yeah, before the green mold sets yeah. in. You know, the other thing this reminds me of is that if you are doing fairly large portions for holiday dinners and it's something you love but you only it's a lot of work and you don't do it except at holidays make more yeah and do the same freezing thing yep and then yep. in february drag it out and have a you know a, you know some kind of special meal or maybe somebody's birthday is coming up and have a turkey dinner in february yeah why not we talked about <laughs> doing it in june but of course that never happens in any case, it is time to wrap up. This is the last show of 2021. Thank you for joining us all year. If you're not already a subscriber to our online magazine, it's free to do so and will be continuing to be so. Just visit seattledining.com and click on subscribe free. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Seattle Dining Show. This program is a copyrighted production of Mixed Media and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without written permission of the legal owner, all right? However, feel free to share the link with all your friends on Facebook. Studio equipment for this broadcast was purchased locally at American Music, a Fremont icon. The views and opinions expressed on this show are exclusive to the hosts and guests and do not reflect those of former employees of Bill the Butcher, the Surrogate Hostess, the Beeline Diner, Louie's Chinese Cuisine, the Doghouse, the Five Mile House, Charlie's, the Twin Teepees, Ocean Air, Benjamin's, the Madison Park Cafe, or any other lost Seattle icon. Subscribe free to our monthly magazine, online at seattledining.com and join us next time for another edition of the Seattle Dining Show.